Turn us on and the satisfaction's guaranteed. Frank discussion with passion on CJD 800. Welcome to the Friday edition of Passion, where just about anything goes. Uh, We will talk about uh, different things that have come up in the news, some research. Tonight, I want to revisit safe sex during pandemic. This is an issue that keeps uh, popping up and people keep asking about, so I just want to revisit that. We'll talk about uh, broken heart syndrome, which happens to be on the rise during the pandemic. And also, we're going to talk about sugar babies. Is sugaring a romantic relationship or is it another form of prostitution? All that and more after 10.15, but first... Time to check out our inbox. Your texts are always welcome. Connect with Passion at 514-800. Time to answer some of your questions right now, which you can also send to me by email, and you can do that directly through my website at drlaurie.com. Hello, Dr. Lori. I keep hearing on your show about straight women watching lesbian porn, and here I was thinking I was the exception. It has only been fairly recently I started watching porn and found lesbian porn by far the most erotic. Last night's show is awesome. Sometimes I think your shows are directed at me and things I have experienced. And the poem was beautiful and struck a nice chord. In watching lesbian porn, I have come across different different types, some uh, good, some disturbing. When does porn stop being erotica and becomes perverted i guess that's a that's a very uh, good question but different different definitions of what perverted is right for some people uh, bdsm porn is not you know so-called perverted it's not really a word we tend to use really but uh and then for others that's just me you know it's what they do so there's no uh, perversion there so that's really um I think a question of, of taste. Of course, when you when you're talking about other things that are on the dark web, like um, you know illegal things, that's a whole other can of worms. But we're talking about mainstreamish porn, right? Uh, good day. If I may, I would like to make a recommendation to everyone listening. Last week, I came across a game show in the evening called Match Game, where a panel of six celebrities try and match the responses of a contestant. The questions are outrageously funny and some answers even funnier. One that stands out is Dr. Seuss is writing an updated version of Fifty Shades of Grey. He is calling it Horton Blanks a Who. The contestant fills in the blank. If they ever have a Canadian version, you would make the perfect panelist. Not for the younger viewing, I would say 18 and over. Cheers. Uh, thank you. That's an old match game is, um, I, I don't know, are they, is this a, a new version of it, I guess? it's. This is like from way back when I was young. I remember a uh, match game being played. So I don't remember. I don't know if this is a, a new. I'm not up, I'm not up to date quite uh, with all the TV shows. I don't generally tend to watch game shows, so I wouldn't really be aware. But let me know. And hey, thank you for the recommendation. Uh, email, when you're having sex with a condom on, are you supposed to finish inside of your partner or uh, pull out? All right. So with a condom... You can ejaculate inside your partner, inside the condom, right? The only thing you have to remember is you do not wait until your erection goes down before pulling out. 
Uh, once you have climaxed, you need to uh, immediately take it out before you lose your erection and you take it out by holding the base of the condom as you pull out. If you don't do this, then semen can spill out of your condom, especially if the condom becomes loose around your penis. So important to hold the base of your penis with your fingers when uh, you pull out. Then you can have a look at the condom, make sure it hasn't been broken. You tie a knot in it and you throw it in the garbage. Do not throw it in the toilet. It will clog uh, toilets. So um, another tip, speaking of condoms, make sure you leave room at the tip when putting on uh, a condom. There's the tip part is called the reservoir tip actually. So you need to, to do that by squeezing enough of the condom that fits between your thumb and your finger because it equals about a half an inch or so to let out the air and you leave room for uh, the ejaculate. There's actually some good YouTube uh, visuals or YouTube videos that can show you a visual uh, demonstration. Uh, Match Game, saw it. It's fantastic. All right, what uh, what channel is Match Game on? Uh, it's new with Alec Baldwin. Okay, worth that uh, looking into. That must be fun, especially if it's a racier version than than uh, probably when I was uh, growing up. So let's look out for that one. Since I was fourteen, I had this strange fetish. I become sexually aroused by the feel of newspaper on my skin. I get an erection when I read the morning paper. I wrap myself up in newspaper and I even masturbate with newspaper. I have no idea where this came from. I'm now 55 and I still have the same obsession with newspapers. Have you heard of this before? How common is it? So interesting you should say that because you're not the first person, you're not the first person who has written me about this, uh, this fetish. Although there's very few articles about this particular fetish, but try this and I'm sure you have. If you do a Google search for newspaper fetish, you get over a half a million results. Imagine that. So it, this is not a common fetish. A common fetish would be something like a, a foot fetish, for example. But it appears that there are many people in the world who seem to share this arousing interest in newspapers. There are uh, online forums that exist. Um, I mean, you can find an online forum or site for just about any, any fetish. The thing is, is that... As to the why, how, okay, so I, we answered how common, it's rare, but it's common enough that there's that many sites on it or that many people interested in it and not much written about it. Um, yes, I've heard about it, but where does it come from? That's a whole other, uh, that's a whole other complex um, issue because um, we don't, there's, we don't know all that much yet. There's maybe different processes to get to a fetish or to develop a fetish. What we understand, like one theory is that the brain pairs an inanimate object, like let's say your newspaper with uh, sexual arousal, usually sometime during childhood or puberty. 
we don't know much else to tell you the truth. So, uh, we just know some people seem to be wired this way and have been for a very long time. And many people don't even recall when that kind of pairing, uh, happened. Actually, they, some people do recall like, a, you know, different things. Like I've talked to foot fetishes before and they'll tell me of rem- like, re- of having memories of being little and crawling around their, uh, their home, their parents' home, especially when their parents were having parties or what have, and there'd be lots of feet, right? You'd have a lot of bare, um, pe- people in no shoes kind of thing. And so, for some reason that evolved into, uh, a, uh, like a foot fetish or, or something like that, but not that well understood. We just know they're there. We also know that it's generally fetishes are harmless. Um, if it stops you from having sexual encounters that you desire with, with another human being, then it can become problematic. But otherwise it's a question of finding a partner who's okay with your fetish, regardless of what that fetish is and, or depending on how strong it is, how much you need it, uh, in, uh, in your life. Coming up, we'll talk about how to practice safe sex amid the pandemic. I know I've said this before, but we're going to revisit this and, uh, maybe, uh, you know, it's, it's just like about sex education, right? It's just another form of education. We need to, to drive this home basically and have people, uh, pay, at least pay attention and consider some of these things. So- A safe place to work out the kinks in any relationship. It's passion with CGAD 800's Dr. Lori Batito. Friday night, you know what that means. Just about anything goes. Would love to hear some of your thoughts. I want to talk about uh, practicing safe sex amid the pandemic. This was an article on Bustle, but I want to share it with you. I've talked about this, but this got into even more detail. And I want to know if if uh, you guys are thinking of this at all. Those of you who are single, who may be looking to hook up or looking to um, meet someone for, for dating, is this something you've given thought to how to practice safe sex? Uh, again, safe sex, meaning not necessarily the safe sex. We usually talk about the stuff we didn't learn in sex ed, which is how to have sex, safe sex during a global pandemic, right? Uh, so that's a whole other thing. And I'm not talking about having sex with someone you've quarantined with or isolated with, but somebody new. So what is the advice of professionals in this area? The first thing is they recommend that you minimize your number of sexual partners. Um, remember when we're not in a pandemic, okay. Like there's no shoulds about the limit of people. That's entirely up to you. But in light of this, in light of COVID, minimizing the number of people that you are sleeping with is important. The, the, obviously the more people you sleep with, the more exposure or, or risk you put yourself in, um, because then you'd be risking more exposure to, uh, to the virus, right? Or at least you would be, if you're reducing the number, then you're limiting the people that you, you could potentially, uh, contaminate as well. Also together, you have to talk about your risk factors. So these are things, these are conversations you need to have together before uh, getting into bed. 
So if your date, for example, is an essential worker who has been on the front lines, or you find out that your date has been going out to bars a lot and have, and have been in crowds a lot, then maybe um, they have a different risk profile uh, when compared, let's say, to someone who has been only working from home, who hasn't been going out or minimally going out. So this is a, it's a, an important discussion to have. And they also mention the whole issue about consent. If one person knowingly has COVID-19 but does not disclose to their partner, this violates a partner's ability to consent in very much the same way, say, if somebody has a, an HIV status. So, uh, again, something to talk about. They also recommend get tested. I like this. The phrase, so when were you last tested, has a whole new meaning. If you or your date have been showing symptoms like fever, dry cough, fatigue, it's important to postpone, obviously, I would hope that would be obvious, the uh, in real life dates and get tested immediately. Even though, even when you're feeling completely healthy, this doctor urges, you both should get tested for the virus in case you have the virus asymptomatically. If you test negative, you both can be socially isolated for 14 days and then get retested. Doesn't that sound really complicated? And then you're fine to be intimate with each other. You tell me how much do you think people will pay attention to all of this and follow I mean, these are, yes, strict guidelines, but if we want to be as safe as possible, these are some of the things we have to actually think about. Then they suggest that you should tell your quarantine pod. So if you're expanding your social bubble, you are increasing your risk for the, uh, the virus. If you live with roommates, for example, you should notify them anytime you bring someone to your home who is not part of your uh, social bubble. If you're putting yourself at risk of contracting COVID, you're also putting the people you live with at risk. People have to pay attention to that. Uh, then they recommend consider sticking to uh, mutual masturbation, touching yourselves in front of each other, six feet apart. How many people you think are going to do that? Next, they say wear a mask and avoid kissing, which, you know, again, you think people will be doing that. But remember, if any of the droplets get into the skin, you might innocently touch those droplets and then touch your eyes or mouth, which is why they recommend you wear a mask and avoid kissing. They also recommend uh, if you're going to have intercourse that you choose doggy style or um, reverse cowgirl or other positions that allow for penetration without face-to-face -face contact with a partner. They also recommend using, uh, using barrier protective methods. So not, not really not talking about PPEs here, but, uh, we're talking about, uh, condoms and dental dams to limit, um, exposure or completely 
they say even skip over the oral or anal sex. What they're saying is avoid any sexual contact that involves exposure to vaginal, vaginal secretions, semen, or feces. Now, the studies show that they have found it in feces. They have not found it in vaginal secretions, and they have found it in at least symptomatic um, people who are recovering from the virus. They have found it in semen. So again, it's inconclusive really in terms of sexual transmission that way. But hey, if you're going to go through all of these things, you can pay attention to that as well. They also recommend that you should shower, wash your hands, of course, and shower alone, uh, shower and sanitize your body before and after having sex. They also recommend you sanitize your surroundings. Use disinfectant on hard surfaces and make sure your sheets and your bedding are washed and cleaned before and after sexual activity. Does all this sound like too much of a bother? If I had to, if I read all this and I, you know, if I was single, I'm like, okay, forget it. I'll wait. I'll just wait. Way too much uh, stuff to, to consider and worry about. Uh, it also suggests know your boundaries. Check in with yourself and your date about your boundaries and your comfort levels before getting it on, which of course is very important, right? You got to know what you, and that's the same for any of your sexual boundaries, whether it's during Corona, before Corona, after, um, you have to know what your own, uh, rules are basically. And, and and follow through with your rules, like, uh, respect them for yourself. Is sugaring a romantic relationship or prostituting? What do people think about that? In other words, are sugar babies, are they girlfriends or are they sex workers? Aaron Benzev, Dr. Aaron Benzev, uh, wrote in psychology today, uh, it seems they walk a thin line between those two. So what is a sugar baby? A sugar baby is someone who receives gifts, including cash, in exchange for company, which can include sex, but doesn't have to. A sugar daddy is a person who gives such gifts, is typically wealthier and older than the sugar baby. Um, of course, there are such things as sugar mamas, but that is rarer, probably since women are less willing to pay for sex, it seems. It's also not uh, orientation specific. It's not just in the straight community, but also in the homosexual community. Now, some sugar daddies provide allowances, so a fixed amount every week or every month. Some pay by the date. Sometimes there's no concrete agreement and the sugar baby relies on the gifting whims of the sugar daddy. Some sugar daddies want to meet several times a week. Others prefer once a month. It can range, the activities can range from hand-holding and cuddling to a full sexual encounter. Sugar daddies usually seek both companionship and sex. Uh, and those more interested in companionship tend to gift their sugar babies with a monthly support. And those more interested in sex tend to gift them with cash on a date-to-date uh, basis. What do you think? Sex work or type of girlfriend? So uh, the site that many, a lot of these arrangements are made on is called Seeking 
arrangements. And they found that the average sugar daddy is 38 years old and earns $250,000 annually, while the average sugar baby is 25 years old and receives about $2,800 monthly from their sugar daddies. This has become increasingly popular in the past few decades, especially among students. There are millions of people on these sites, by the way, millions of people. Coming up, I want to talk about what is uh, what is the difference between sugaring and prostitution? How do those two things differ? And I want to hear your thoughts on this. Do you see this as prostitution or another type of relationship? From the pleasure and the politics to the hang-ups and the heartbreak, you're listening to Passion, CJD 800. Texter writes in, I really, really feel for anyone even wanting to go on a new date during these times. What a minefield of complexity, complexities, even for us who are lucky in Canada with relatively low hospitalizations and case numbers presently. It's still, it's still uh, a risk and can make some people feel a whole lot more anxious than others. So we've been talking about sugar babies, sugar daddies, and uh, how does this differ from prostitution? Uh, colleague, uh, Dr. Benzev wrote in Psych, uh, Psychology Today uh, an article about this. You can read the whole thing, but I'm, I'm sharing most of it with you uh, here. So the difference here is a sugar daddy does not want to feel like he is a John and a sugar baby does not want to feel like she is a prostitute. Sugaring aims for mutual respect between the partners. This is reflected in the terminology of partner rather than worker and client, although sugar babies are clearly the weaker partner. Indeed, while people speak about ordering or going to a prostitute, they speak about meeting or dating a sugar baby. So a little bit different. In a study by Marin Skull in 2020, uh, who identified a range of different sugaring types, at one end of the continuum there is a there is sugar prostitution, and at the other end there is sugar friendship and sugar love. Uh, he claims that 40% of women who have sugared do not have sex with their benefactors. So it's not just about sex. And that those who do often have genuine connections with the men. So that is right there, one big difference with uh, prostitution. So what are some of the ways that sugaring differs from prostitution First of all, there's greater complexity. Prostitution typically involves a one-time, relatively brief sexual activity, and basically it's an exchange, receiving money for sexual uh, favors. Romantic relations, of course, is different. That involves a multidimensional, ongoing interactions. So sugaring has aspects of both types of relations, though in a somewhat lighter form. Unlike prostitutes, the life of sugar babies does not revolve only around the sugar world. On the contrary, sugaring is often meant to support other significant activities of the women. Hence why we see this often, more often, in university students uh, being uh, sugar babies. 
Another difference is when it comes to money and romance. Sugaring involves receiving money and gifts for sexual favors, yes, um, while prostituting begins and ends with this one-time exchange, whereas sugaring is much more than this. It involves enduring romantic activities, thereby leaving open the possibility of morphing into a long-term relationship and in rare cases, even marriage. Uh, Freedom is another one. Sugaring compared to prostituting allows for greater freedom in partner choice. Thus, while in prostituting, there are often pimps who protect the protect so-called the prostitute and locate customers for her sugaring features no such middleman partnering is mainly accomplished through online sites Uh, repetition and development prostituting lacks meaningful development in sugaring there is a relationship even though it could be shallow uh, but one that endures and develops over time thus enabling the partners to potentially get to know and bring out the best in each other the enduring aspect, which is expressed in the behavior in between sexual encounters, is extremely significant for the development of this kind of enduring and sometimes profound love between the sugar baby and the sugar uh, daddy. Commitment and trust. The issues of commitment and trust are significant in romantic relations and hardly, if at all, present in prostituting. Commitment and trust exist in sugaring, albeit in a limited manner. Uh, Thus, the number of partners in sugaring is much fewer than in prostitution, and the relationship is more personal and more intimate. Just want to hear some of your thoughts on these types of relationships. Uh, The most famous sugar baby is just south of Canada. (laughs) Who are you talking about? Name her. (laughs) Uh, Carson once said in a monologue that a woman in L.A. was giving sex in exchange for a spaghetti dinner. Does that make her a pastatute? <laughs> Cute. Uh, it's just role-playing, but prostitution nonetheless, someone else says. Uh, sugaring is discreet or camouflaged prostitution for sure. Seems to be the consensus. Um Let's see. There are plenty of sugar mamas who go to tropical resorts and have similar relationships with beach boys who actually seek these women out and often lure them into marriage. Maybe you can do a show about this. Um, I would if I can find some real people who have been down that road. Like I would love to interview some actual uh, sugar mamas, but many times they do this on the down low, right? They wouldn't do it in their own city, but they will do it only when they are um, out of town, for example. So, might be hard to find. It's not a relationship. It's a business agreement. Nothing more. Yeah, can it, it definitely is a business agreement. However, um, I have spoken to sugar babies before. We have had them on the air before. And they talk about developing relationships and there are genuine <clears throat> feelings and affection for their uh, sugar daddies as well. And they choose them. Many of them will choose only ones they are actually attracted to or want to have a relationship with, not just anybody. Whereas in prostitution, there's less you're let, there's less choosiness, let's just say. 
On the subject of safe sex, the Passion Poet weighs in. Put a helmet on that soldier before he goes into battle, especially with a new partner before you get in the saddle. Mature people are more responsible. Teens do not always think. Do not share any fluids, and that includes a drink. But live life best you can. Life is something to enjoy. Always be prepared in the methods you may employ. Thank you. Probably more complicated to be uh, to be safe during COVID. Certainly more complicated than simply um, practicing safe safer sex. And you know why we say safer sex, right? The same way we're saying now is uh, reducing the risk, but not eliminating the risk. So it's it's also safer, but not safe, because there's no such thing as completely safe sex and there's no such thing as completely safe sex during covid with <laughs> just the, you're just talking about different viruses here right so yes condoms can protect you from all kinds of things but there are uh plenty of uh of um infections that you can get and and viruses including uh, herpes and hpv that condoms do not protect you against so there's that to worry about and in this case you're reducing the risk of uh, of covid but being in close proximity with somebody new out of your bubble puts you at risk even if it's a minimal minimal risk if you've established if you've done everything that's only safer, but not completely 100% safe. Coming up, uh, we'll talk about uh, women sharing things that they wish men would not copy from porn during sex. Uh, plus, we'll talk about uh, cases of broken heart syndrome as well. Right. Passion with Dr. Lori Batito. On CJAD 800. Here's the headline on a Buzz article. Women are sharing the things they wish men wouldn't copy from porn during sex. And it's getting heated. Straight men sometimes have the habit of taking a technique. Let's just call it that. They see in porn and applying it to their own sex life. They fail to realize that just because this move was met by exaggerated moans in one porno doesn't mean all women are dying to experience it in real life. Uh, So this was a buzz and Reddit where they asked women to share things that guys copy from porn that are not enjoyable. And some of the more popular responses, and I'll share a few uh, with you here, Uh, rubbing the clitoris like a stain on a shirt, circular motions, please. Uh, stop jackhammering into us right off the bat, warm up to it and get us wet. No spitting on the pee doesn't count. No spitting on the vagina. When they go from ass to vag, good way to get an infection. Once you go butthole, you don't go back. Um, I absolutely do not want you to put your penis in my mouth after anal. There's one. Uh, thinking that we orgasm from two minutes of penetration alone. Uh, another one that we just instantly get in the mood. You walk into the room and think I'll just immediately want you. Mm-mm. 
spreading our butt cheeks apart while doing doggy or reverse cowgirl. Do you want me to fart, bro? <laughs> That's one person. Uh, foreplay. It's literally crucial if you want the girl to get anything out of it at all. Sure, sometimes penetration is good, but it shouldn't be the standard for sex. And of course, that's we see most of that in porn, right? Uh, expecting the woman to shoot forth a geyser of fluid. If something happens, it's a trickle, not old faithful. Uh, threesomes. I'm bisexual and literally every guy I've been with has asked for one. And finally, I'm so annoyed by men's obsession with dick sizes. Believe it or not, I don't fantasize about a 13-inch monster poking my cervix. If you're large, cool. If you're average or less than, also cool. I don't really care about the length, just about what you do with what you got. So those are some um, women talking about or talking to men to stop doing some of the things they see in porn because they actually don't like it. Uh, Cases of broken heart syndrome have increased during the coronavirus pandemic, according to this new study. The syndrome feels similar to a heart attack and can occur in people dealing with physical or emotional stress. Uh, The syndrome more formally known as Takotsubo, or stress cardiomyopathy, produces symptoms that feel like a heart attack, weakened heart muscles, shortness of breath, and chest pain, but it is instead caused by physical or emotional stress that leads the heart muscles to dysfunction, and it is far less deadly. Most patients recover in a few days. Researchers from the Cleveland Clinic where they did this study said that they have found a significant increase in patients with broken heart syndrome over the last four months compared to previous years. Between March 1st and April 30th, cardiologists saw 258 patients with acute coronary syndrome, and of those, 7.8% had broken heart syndrome compared to 1.7% prior to the pandemic. The researchers also said that the patients needed longer recovery time in the hospital compared to pre-COVID-19 cases, though the mortality rate remained the same, and none of the patients tested positive for COVID-19. They conclude the COVID-19 pandemic has brought about multiple levels of stress in people's lives across the country and world. People are not only worried about themselves or their families becoming ill, they are dealing with economic and emotional issues, societal problems, and potential loneliness and isolation. The stress can have physical effects on our bodies and our hearts, as evidenced by the increasing diagnosis of stress cardiomyopathy we are experiencing. So um, I guess they call it broken heart syndrome also because this is the same kind of thing seen in people who are uh, experiencing the severe stress following a, um, a breakup. On the subject of sugar daddies, sugar babies, not to take the high road, but anyone takes money for romance is just trying to soften the stigma of prostitution. <clears throat> prostitution. Call a spade a spade. Another texter says, I think sugar babying is sort of low intensity and long-term escorting. Uh, well, I think that has been the uh, conclusion here tonight, or at least the uh, the consensus. 
Uh, by the way, match game, I just I watched a little clip. Very, very funny. Apparently, it gets really down and dirty. Uh, match game is on Sunday evenings on CTV. So um, maybe you can PVR it or maybe I'll start PVRing it. But looks kind of fun. And last but not least, I want to tell you about an audio porn platform called Quinn, developed by a 23-year-old student from uh, Stanford University, So, um, which is kind of funny that she, I mean, it's, you know, it's good. It's good that she did this. So she was looking uh, for something, uh, like a lot of women, not so much interested in the visual porn that they see, and uh, looked into... Uh, the audio, an audio porn platform developed her own. It attracts hundreds of thousands of users per month. Um, and it ranges from people reading erotic stories to voyeuristic recordings of sexual scenarios to tracks where the performer is talking right to the listener, kind of like uh, the apps like Headspace or Calm or things like that. Uh, Spiegel, that's her name, uh, who's 23, describes, uh, Carolyn, Carolyn Spiegel, if you want to find out more about her, describes Quinn as the uh, digital equivalent. Our tone is basically a clean, sexy place for women. She offers content that really takes the user seriously. She wanted to offer an alternative to the Internet's ocean of exploitative, tacky, uninteresting visual porn. Though she admits there are exceptions, such as independent porn creators like Erica Lust and those on OnlyFans, she has made the audio uh, art form more accessible. So there is a competitor called Dipsy, which we have talked about. But unlike uh, their competitor, which requires a subscription and supplies its own content, Quinn's audio tracks are free and uploaded by users. So very much like uh, Pornhub where people can upload their own uh, porn or what have you, this is this does uh, the same thing. So interesting. You can look into it uh, at Quinn. She says that uh, the Qu- Quinn's bread and butter is women age 18 uh, to uh, 25, but apparently a whole bunch of men uh, have uh, joined in the recent months 40 percent of Quinn's users have been male are we turning things around now where men are looking to move away from the typical porn which maybe is getting boring already I don't know it's like same old same old and uh, listening to erotica and erotic stories and things like that I wonder I wonder Well, that's it for me. Thank you so much for spending uh, your time with me. Certainly appreciate it. Thank you to our technical producer tonight, Jimmy Garofalis. And thanks to our passion researcher, Linda DeLisi. You can connect with me on social media at Dr. Lori Batito or through my website, drlori.com, where you can also, by the way, send me your emails. So if you have particular questions, things you want me to talk about on the air, subject ideas, Um, guest ideas, then uh, send them along to me and I'll be very happy to, uh, to consider them. Coming up next here on CJD, we bring you the CTV National News. Have a great rest of the evening, a fabulous weekend, and remember to live your life with passion.